Hi everyone, and welcome to Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and giving you a glimpse into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is definitely not professional medical advice. I'm just a medical student. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school or any organizations I'm affiliated with. So this is episode 20 of the podcast, and we've just finished week 23 of medical school. It was a great week one of hematology and oncology. We studied all about how blood transports oxygen and how blood clotting and coagulation work, and there's a lot to remember already. A while ago, there was a question about how aspirin and NSAIDs work. And um, I'm going to talk about those a little bit today. They actually came up quite a bit in in our week of hematology and oncology. And then there was a question this week about blood loss, how much blood loss is too much. And then just some, uh, I'm going to wrap up by talking about some extracurriculars that I've been working on. And that'll be it for the week. So aspirin is an interesting drug. It's been used for a long time as a pain reliever and an anti-inflammatory drug, but it also has really important properties relating to the blood itself. Specifically, it has impact on the clotting in the plasma part of the blood. Aspirin actually prevents platelets from sticking together, and that's the major first step to forming a blood clot. It just so happens that when aspirin is absorbed in the body, it stops production of a chemical that causes the sensation of pain. Well, the same chemical is used by platelets to help them stick together and form a blood clot. And the platelets eat up aspirin like it's going out of style. So when you take just a little bit of aspirin, mostly it goes right to your platelets and prevents blood clots and doesn't even affect pain levels very much. However, if you get past that threshold and take like 300 or 600 milligrams of aspirin or 1,000 milligrams, then you start to get that pain relief and anti-fever effects on top of also having that um, anti-blood clotting effect. So aspirin has side effects like increasing the risk of getting stomach bleeding and stomach ulcers because that same chemical that prevents the the pain signals is also preventing the blood clots. It also actually um, is preventing extra protective factors that your stomach has to prevent bleeding in your GI tract. So nowadays, aspirin is most used for people who need that antiplatelet function, not the anti-pain function or the anti-inflammation. That's mostly because we also have better drugs that can focus on relieving the pain and they don't have as big of an impact on the platelets. When people are having a heart attack, they are told to chew a baby aspirin. And what that's going to do, we know that there's already a clot forming somewhere in their coronary arteries. And that aspirin may prevent it from getting worse while they get to the hospital by preventing new platelets from stacking on and adding to the coagulation. I wanted to take a moment to plug a news story that my classmate and I authored and published last week. It's called Life as an M1 During COVID, a first-year medical student during COVID. Um, We started a club at school called the Medical Multimedia Journalists. And we have a two-pronged mission. One is to actually do some reporting on current events happening in our area that relate to health um, while we're in medical school. And then and to publish high-quality pieces with text and audio and video, etc. 
And then the other prong of it is to learn about how health news is reported and how doctors can help keep the public informed. So I'm really excited. We're actually bringing in a speaker next week who's a veteran newspaper reporter, and he's going to talk to our students about um, working in the health, science, and environment beat for the local newspaper for like 35 years. And so we're going to learn a lot about what makes things newsworthy and how physicians can be a part of getting accurate information out to the media and to the public. So I'm really excited that we're... um, have this news story published and are getting a speaker in to uh, talk to our school. I'm going to put a link to the, um, to the news story, which we published on medium.com into the show notes. We have a question from my dad who is watching an unnamed medical drama right now. That's been going for like 25 seasons. He asks how much blood can a person lose before it becomes a problem? And I really like this question. Um, The situation that came to my mind is, since I volunteered in the emergency department quite a bit, is thinking about um, how bad is it when someone with a traumatic injury that caused a lot of blood loss comes in to see you as an emergency physician. Um, There's another setting that's really common for blood loss, which is surgery. And anesthesiologists, it's their job to attend to the patient's health while the surgeon is operating. And so they think quite a lot about the answer to my dad's question as well. So I'm going to talk about it from both perspectives, I guess. Um, I'm envisioning first a person coming into the emergency department with a big cut on their leg and a homemade bandage of sheets and towels that are soaking with blood. And the first thing to mention is that I don't think anyone is going to try to quantify the amount of blood in the bandages. Um, Instead, they're just going to try to halt the blood loss and assess how well the body is continuing to function via the vital signs. So If too much blood has been lost, we will perhaps see an increased breathing rate and increased heart rate to try to compensate to make sure that all the organs are still getting oxygen. Um, But one of the most important things we may see is a low blood pressure. And this could mean that either significant blood has been lost, just like letting air out of a tire, the pressure has gone down. And... Um, It also could mean that the blood vessels have expanded or dilated, which is also common after an injury. But regardless, we need blood pressure to be high enough to force the blood up to the brain against the force of gravity. So if you don't get enough blood to the brain, then you're not going to have your heart functioning. You're not going to have a respiratory drive. So we need to keep the blood pressure up high enough. And that's probably the most important initial thing to think about. So at this point, an IV is started and a liter of IV fluids, saline solution is being dripped into the patient's veins. And this actually starts adding volume back into the blood vessels to replace what's missing from the lost blood. So that is going to bring the blood pressure up. So every organ is starting to get its share of oxygen, oxygenated blood again. But let's talk about the details of what this blood is right now. So Initially, there might have been five liters of the blood, then there's the injury, and let's say our patient lost a liter of blood. Now we can add that liter of saline back into the veins, so the volume is right on back at five liters, but the concentration has changed. I mentioned last week that we wanted about 45% of the blood volume to be red blood cells. 
Well, after our leader of blood loss and we was replaced with a leader of saline, the percent went from 45 to 36%. And if then the patient is continuing to bleed and loses another liter of blood, now the percent is going to be 29%. The amount of oxygen that can actually be carried by that blood has decreased. And this is important to think about. Um, so now the bleeding has stopped and we get the patient to surgery and the anesthesiologist takes over. And she's going to be the one who manages the decisions from then on about how to give blood transfusions during the surgery. So I checked out an anesthesiology textbook. And generally, if the percent was above 30%, the hematocrit was above 30%, then it might not be indicated to give a blood transfusion. Um, but at the beginning of surgery, the actual number uh, percent now is only 29. So maybe it's a judgment call. And at this point, there'll be some blood on hand since they're going into surgery. So they might give the patient some blood. Um, and additionally, at this point, anesthesiologist will be watching to see how much blood is lost during the procedure. So at this point, they are keeping track of that so they can decide if um, more blood needs to be transfused. So what is a unit of blood? A unit of blood is a fixed quantity, about a quarter liter of almost purely red blood cells with just enough extra plasma to let it flow smoothly. So each unit of blood, which is like one individual pack, is going to raise the percentage by about 3%. So in our case, the patient was in surgery at like 29%, they might transfuse two units of blood and that would bring their hematocrit up to about 35%. And then they might be happy with that. There might be two more units on hand just in case they were needed. So all of this was really about the management of an acute anemia. An anemia, a lack of red blood cells caused by actually just losing blood cells out of the body through this cut. To wrap it up, I would say a liter of blood is kind of a problem, but it really depends also on the circumstances. If you lose a liter of blood in a controlled manner that can be stopped immediately, like you're donating blood, that might not be bad, but if you have an open artery shooting out blood uh, and you lose a liter right then, your blood pressure is going to be really low, your vital organs are certainly starving of oxygen, and you don't have a good plan for how to stop the bleeding. Those are two completely different scenarios. Well, that does it for this week. Next week, we're going to start learning about anemia really focused way. And this is not just the kind of anemia you get when you cut your arm and start losing blood um, from an injury, but different kinds, kinds that uh, anemia that happen from genetics or that happen on top of other illnesses. So it's going to be an interesting week. Um, thanks for submitting the questions this week. I really enjoy getting to dive into answering them. And if you want to ask your question on the podcast, please send me an email at b-r-o-o-t at fastmail.com. Our theme music was by David Funkhauser, and uh, our question of the week was from my dad. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great week.